well, hello and welcome and welcome and hello. Come in, come in, come in. The weather out there has been so dreadful or delightful lately, hasn't it? But you've come to the right place, I can assure you. So go ahead, wash your teeth, brush your face, have a cozy sit-stand or lie down, and close your eyes wide awake, because I've got a story to tell you. To fall in love with a tomato. One sleepless night, after a slew of restless tosses and turns, Alistair climbed out of his bed, walked to his kitchen, sat in a chair, and looked at the tomato sitting at the center of the table. The day before, Alistair decided to fall in love with that tomato. Well, in the very least, he would try to fall in love with that tomato. Now, before you huff and puff or guffaw or guff and huff or puffaw or any other combination, let me state for the record that if there ever was a tomato that a human could fall in love with, the tomato that sat on Alistair's kitchen table would have been it. It was a very beautiful tomato. And some would say, Oh yes, it is certainly beautiful for a tomato. But this is not what I mean, and certainly not what Alistair thought. The tomato on his kitchen table was beautiful. Not for a tomato, not for a fruit or vegetable, not for any particular thing at all. The tomato was very beautiful, because it was beautiful. And that was it. It was lush and plump savory and smooth, and subtly glowed a fervent red warmth. And Alistair lit a candle on the table and sat with the tomato. He gazed into its skin, traced the soft ridges with his index finger, and tried to transfer the love and desire he wanted to feel in his heart into the tomato's flesh. But the tomato did not change. And Alistair, too, felt no change in him. There was no love, no desire for the tomato. There was only the desire to make himself love the tomato. It was a task, a mission. And even after the morning had melted the night's candle wax down, Alistair sat at the table and waited to fall in love with the tomato. The candle flame flicked one last flick and disappeared, and there remained no love. But Alistair felt he could not give up just yet. After all, having had only a single night together, they barely knew each other. So, over breakfast, 
Alistair recounted his life to the tomato. He chewed his eggs and bacon and poured forth all that was inside him. He told the tomato how his mother often smelled like lavender and his father like pipe smoke and how they would hold hands when they walked down the street. And the nostalgia wafted so viscerally and pure that Alistair felt the need to look to the tomato and stroke the prickly soft down of its green stem. But uh, before the moment became awkward, he brought his hand back to his coffee mug's waiting handle, and he laughed slight enough to notion towards the awkward of the previous moment, but confident enough to keep the room from falling into deafening silence. Quickly, Alistair moved to another story from his past. He told his tomato about the first girl he ever had feelings for. He was perhaps seven, and her first name was Minnie. Alistair could no longer remember her last name, but he remembered that seeing her for the first time birthed butterflies and sent them swirling throughout his stomach. And he remembered quite clearly that when Minnie introduced herself, Alistair could not remember his own name, so he punched her in the stomach. And he remembered that they both burst into tears at the same time, and that they never spoke again. Alistair sipped his coffee and giggled. How funny it was. Alistair looked to the tomato for a response and then sipped his coffee and (laughs) giggled again. And each draining sip built Alistair's giggle to a a laugh and then to a roar. He pounded his fist. His face turned tomato red. His back arched and his eyes watered with tears. The tears came from the laughter, but Alistair was also suddenly aware that he was saddened that he could no longer remember Minnie's last name. And the tears built for laughter became weighted with somber undertones so heavy that his ducts could no longer hold them. So, Alistair folded over from his abdomen and cried onto the table. When his eyes had dried, he looked at the tomato and apologized. He was not usually like that. Well, he was not always like that, he said. And... Alistair asks the tomato, How about your family? He had heard the tomato's family, the Selenicea, was from Peru, and Alistair mentioned how he had been to Peru and had even ridden an alpaca. Had the tomato ever ridden an alpaca? 
Well, Alistair, he, he had much to say about Peru. He, he loved Peru very much, in fact. But as the day pressed on further, he was well aware that he did not love the tomato. He tried harder. He wrote sweet poetry and prose and odes and songs to the tomato's beauty and its lycopenic scent. Some of those were sweet pieces of longing. Some of them went towards the dirty, in the literal sense, of course. And the harder he tried, the more disappointed and upset he was that there was nothing there. He began to blame the tomato for withholding, for being a tease. And the day turned to night once more, and then another day, and another night, and so on, and so forth, and so forth, and so on. And the tomato began to turn a different hue, and wrinkle, and lose some of its firmness. All signs that their time together was nearing an end. But what end? Alistair wanted marriage, wanted little cherry tomato children and a life together, not because he loved the tomato, but because he did not want to believe that we do not choose who we love. He did not want to give in to the idea that there was a mysterious strand that pulled and held things together. But eventually, there was no choice. The tomato became nothing more than a mushy pile in the center of his table. And Alistair had never, not even for a second, fallen in love with it. Of course, Alistair moved on and even found love elsewhere on its own terms. And the tomato pile moved on, too, to a spectacular sauce that Alistair could even describe as beautiful.